Welcome to Fertility Help Hub's podcast. I'm Eloise, the founder and editor, and each week we bring you expert interviews, reader stories, holistic products, and more. Subscribe to our podcast for free so you never miss an episode. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking to the lovely Grace and Catherine, who are successful applicants for the free round of IVF with leading fertility clinic CRGH in London and Canterbury. They applied for our initiative a couple of months ago and recently found out that they had been randomly selected. So obviously over the moon and very excited about following their journey with them. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about implications for LGBTQ plus family building and what it means for same-sex couples having to navigate fertility and the expense and the process and emotions and everything that can come with it. So welcome to you both. Thanks for having us, Eloise. And many congratulations on being randomly selected for this initiative. I think the, the burning question or the first question I'd like to ask you being on the receiving end is what were your thoughts going into the process in terms of applying and did you did you ever think that you might be successful? I was completely astounded literally gobsmacked when I found out that we'd been successful in this initiative. Um, I remember when I actually when I applied it was a Sunday morning and Catherine was still asleep because she likes having a lie-in on a Sunday. So I was sitting there scrolling through Instagram and I saw this post about the initiative and um, clicked through and thought, well, why not why just apply? Um, because for us, fertility treatment is you know, one of the very limited options that we have to make a family um, aside from fostering and, and adoption. So we've always known that we're going to have an expense like this. I've been saving for fertility treatment since before I met Catherine, uh, which sounds a bit weird and creepy, I guess. But um, no pressure, darling. (laughs) On our first date, I was like, do you want children? (laughs) Um, So to be able to, um, you know, for, for for that financial pressure to be off us is just takes such a weight off our shoulders and we're just you know we feel so blessed to be randomly selected for this as well it's it's great and we just can't believe it weeks and you know weeks on after finding out we still can't believe it um I I feel like I have to pinch myself for for so long we'd felt like we were in this position where we'd been saving money but we knew we were about to take a massive financial hit and we're thinking about ways you know we could cut down on expenses with other things cancelling Netflix subscriptions etc everything we could think of and so to have this as Grace said extra weight lifted off us has just you know been amazing unbelievable really well that's an exaggeration we didn't cancel Netflix because (laughs) Netflix is like an essential service these days and Catherine what was your reaction so Grace sort of mentioned that she'd got a slightly you know cryptic text saying can we have a conversation tomorrow and I was on a work call at the time when Grace had the conversation with you and I almost I think I almost burst into tears and Grace was crying because we just it's so unbelievable um you know and when you mentioned how many people had applied for the initiative we just can't still can't believe we've been selected. Thank you so much for you know being part of this and sharing your story because Fertility Help Hub is all about community and building on that and shared experiences so even to help people realize that then in this is so important and that's why we're having these conversations would you mind just telling us a little bit about 
you know, your, your trying to conceive journey to date in terms of how COVID has disrupted your family plans, because that was what this whole initiative has been about. It's been about giving people hope and trying to give those we can the opportunity to restart their journeys following an awful year plus. Sure. Um, so I think in terms of COVID, you know, we have been lucky in a sense that physically we've both been well, but we we did have the unfortunate situation where we had to postpone our wedding. Um, and we're both quite structured in the way we approach things. Uh, Grace even gave me a deadline by which to propose to her. Which you met by, which a, I day. Met by a day. So uh, we've always had a, a plan, so to speak, and the plan was get married and then, you know, a, a couple of months later, start fertility treatment. And that was partly around sort of we liked that plan, but also um, as an LGBT couple, we have additional restrictions on if we're not married, what that means for sort of co-parenting or for the sort of non-carrying mother being as a named mother on the birth certificate so it's possible and it's sort of easy enough to do through signing forms but for us the ease of doing that without feeling the process was something that would be enabled by being married Um, so it it was a blow for us um, in terms of that and then also from an age perspective um, so I'm I'm lucky I'm a little younger than Grace but it, it was something that you know does become a consideration once you hit 35. Um, I'm not there yet. She's a few months I'm off. Like a <laughs> but yeah, and I think that did, you know, that was an emotional thing. Um, and add the added pressure of having the wedding cancelled. Um, and in addition, you know, we, we lost money due to having to postpone the wedding. So that in turn also had an impact on our um, finances and how we were thinking about um, fertility treatment. So it's been a tough year, um, a year and a bit for everyone. And as I said, we are lucky but also you know this this has been something that's been weighing on top of us yeah throughout the COVID period. And so in terms of the process you've already consulted haven't you with CRGH? We have so um, we had a sort of free CRGH doing um, fantastic free consultations at the moment um, for people who obviously can't go in and visit the clinic for open days so we did want to those before we were selected um, for the initiative and we've now um, done sort of our we've had our first proper consultation we're booked in for our tests um, as a couple that will be using donor sperm we also need to do implications counselling which we did with one of CRGH's uh, counsellors last week so we are moving through the process definitely. Um, and how does that yeah, work so- with your wedding plans? <laughs> so it's a tricky one so I'm sure and we can talk about this a little bit later but we are uh, looking into reciprocal IVF which is where one of us would be um, donating the egg and then the other partner would uh, post sort of fertilization would carry um, sort of carry through the embryos um, so I guess you know for egg collection I'm sure a lot of people are aware that there's a, a huge amount of hormones involved in that um, and you know know a medical process so we've got two months to go until our wedding so we're still trying to work out you know when we're going to officially start Uh, but CRGH has been really flexible with that and they'll work around us so yeah I I think it's looking likely that we won't start until July after our wedding um, just because I I think if I'm pumped with hormones uh, and Bridezilla I'll just not want to marry you by then yeah (laughs) A lot to do in all in one time, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. I guess as an LGBTQ plus couple, what are the general options for family building? You mentioned, Grace, that you have been saving before you met Catherine. So at what point do you have to start, sort of start thinking about family building and, and what's the process for same-sex couples or lesbian couples? Well, there's one thing for sure that doesn't work, which is hoping that, um, you know, two eggs will make a baby. This <laughs> doesn't work. So I, you know, I've been saving since I was about 28 and um, I'm now 34 um, for the fertility fund, which makes me sound a bit creepy. But I think anybody else in the LGBT plus community will kind of empathise with the need to to, um, to save. Um, you know, we, we do have there are many ways you can make a family. Um, most importantly, it's love. Um, but in terms of the biology of the actual, you know, actually having a child there, of course, you can adopt, which is something we have considered and will consider again in the future. Um, you can have IUI treatment, IVF, reciprocal IVF. Um, but as you mentioned, Eloise, there's no NHS funding for same-sex couples to go through fertility treatment at the beginning. Um, I think it depends which area you live in, but in the UK, typically you have to go, you have to self-fund three rounds of IVF before the NHS will step in. So living in London, I mean, that's, it's easily 40 grand and um, we just just don't have that money. So it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on LGBT couples and we, you know, dare I even say we feel discriminated against Um, I'd I'd agree with that and I think you know that there's definitely work in the mix of you know petitions to the government around equalizing treatment because for uh, heterosexual couples it's I think you need to prove that you've been trying for two years or something we've been trying we've been trying but scientifically it doesn't work (laughs) Um, so it, it does it does feel Discrimination feels like a strong word, but it's something that makes us feel very different um, and something that, you know, as taxpayers and massive supporters of the NHS, we just, you know, we wish there might be that opportunity for us. And I I hope in the future that there will be um, for other couples. Yeah, me too. Do you feel like society generally doesn't prioritise lesbian or LGBTQ plus family building as much as heterosexual people trying to conceive? Unfortunately, yes, I'd say so. Um, I think the sort of automatic assumption, or at least I've found, is that, um, you know, that that we would adopt versus uh, moving sort of straight into fertility treatment. And I think the fact that the NHS focuses on heterosexual couples um, and sort of the, the free treatment they can offer there does... Um, you know, it does indicate that the priority isn't with us, so to speak. I think also the financial aspects um, of conceiving um, through fertility treatment for LGBT couples, you know, the, the priority when finances are short would not be to fund those who need a lot more money. Um, and also, I think to some extent, there is still a lot of stigma around LGBT families. Um, it's something we've discussed a lot about when if we're successful, hopefully we have a child, um, how we'll manage that even, you know, with the school and discussing things like how they'll approach Father's Day and how we can manage those conversations. And I, I think that's 
there's a lot of stigma around that still. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're so lucky to be where we are versus 20 years ago, but there's still a lot of stigma out there. Still a long way to go. Yeah. That actually leads me on to my next question. Uh, have you had concerns about perhaps being treated differently during the fertility process or, as you mentioned, during parenthood? Do you feel that sometimes people say things without thinking, like professionally and personally? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I had a conversation with a doctor, um, just a, a GP, um, who referred to normal couples seeking IVF, um, which I think was a slip of tongue and was not, you know, was not, um, didn't have any bad intention behind it. But the, you know, <laughs> the insinuation was that I am not a normal, uh, and not a normal person as part of a normal couple and um, because I'm in a same-sex relationship so um, you know you get things like that there's a you know even before we were trying to conceive in the healthcare space generally there's always tricky situations coming up like we're always asked what form of contraception do you use and we say oh I don't use any contraception they're like well um you know you need to use contraception I'm like no no I'm a lesbian and then they all look <laughs> really awkward so, um, you know, people do say silly stuff. Um, and also because I present, you know, I don't look gay if there is such a thing as looking gay, but I'm, I'm very femme. So it just doesn't cross people's minds um, that I, you know, that I, I am not heterosexual. So people do say silly stuff. And I think Catherine's the same. You yeah, know. I think. And also in conversations we have both with friends and with people we don't know very well in particular I think with people we don't know very well when they ask uh, so for example we have a dog who we see as our fur baby mm -hmm. but when we're asked do we want a human baby um, a lot of people feel it's okay to ask how will you do that you know the, I've heard so many times which one of you will be the mum and that's incredibly difficult to hear, obviously, because we're both the mum. We're both the mum, but and I know what people are trying to ask, you know, which will, who will carry the child. But it's um, it's really tricky, and you know, with we get very probing questions about how, you know, how it will work biologically. You know, you know, deep questions about the IVF process from people that you know. I think you told me once, Grace, at a work drinks reception, somebody had asked you. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. People suddenly feel very, I, I, they're, they're curious, which is, is nice, I guess, but just don't know when, when is overstepping. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes pushing those conversations back and just saying, um, you know, I'm not comfortable with answering that is really difficult. Um, but also you almost just want to say to somebody, go and have a Google because I'm sure that you'll find the information very easily, but it is, it's a personal thing. I would, I would never ask a straight a couple, straight like, couple how, how will you make your baby? How many times a day are you going to have sex in order to have your baby? You just, you'd never ask a question like that. So why ask a lesbian couple, you know, how are you going to become mums? Sorry, I did feel a little bit like that with just generally having IVF. Friends and family who all have great intentions and want the best, but you know, felt it was appropriate to ask, when are you testing? What are you having done then? When are you flying there to do that? Um, and I just felt like if we were trying to conceive naturally, we wouldn't need to answer these questions. You, yeah. you wouldn't normally ask a couple you know, whether they're having sex to try and make a baby. So why is it okay to ask people if they're therefore doing it a different route? Exactly. And, you know, unfortunately, it's something that, though it's a really exciting um, thing to be doing, um, it, it's obviously very stressful and very personal. And we've had to be careful and discuss 
beforehand who we want to share information with, how detailed we want to be. So, for example, with our parents, we're happy to tell them about you know when scans are, that sort of thing. But when friends ask us, oh, have you got any exciting life news? Sometimes we just say, no, it's lockdown, nothing going on. Whereas really behind the scenes, there's this hugely you know, personal and impactful thing going on for us that is a little bit too uncomfortable to share, as you said, because it's uh, it's not the, the sort of thing that uh, people who aren't having fertility treatment would need to share. Yeah, we've set we've set a few boundaries and we're kind of learning as we go along um, and communicating with one another what we feel comfortable sharing and, and what we don't. So, for example, now when people ask about the donor sperm, because we've selected our donor now from um, from America, um, you know, we we agreed that we're not going to say anything more than he's a man and the sperm's coming from America. I'm not, you know, and he's very healthy. Um, when anyone asks, because he is not a father, he is a donor, and it's nobody's business when our child grows up and they hit eighteen if they want to find out more, they can. Absolutely. And going back to what you were saying about friends and family, have you told any of them that you've been successful with this round of IVF? So uh, we do know that we uh, obviously needed to keep it confidential for a while, but um, with our parents in particular, um, we're incredibly close with them and they are as overjoyed as as we were, I think. Yeah, um, my dad's super excited, which I yeah. kind of wasn't expecting. Um, not that I was thinking he'd be disappointed or anything, but like he was, yeah. he's getting really into it. So yeah. that's quite nice. He's like, there's going to be a, a room for the baby for you to come and visit. Um, yeah. Whereas, whereas I think my parents are more bought into the uh, the fertility process itself. And, you know, that I'm lucky that near CRGH uh, it's, it's where my parents live. So they're already thinking about, you know, how, how they can help be mini nurses um, <laughs> in certain parts of the process, etc. So. Yeah, we, we have shared with uh, sort of the immediate family who are all so pleased for us. I mean, they knew already that we were undergoing uh, or beginning to you know think about fertility treatment. And we'd had a lot of to sometimes tearful conversations about how stressed we were mm-hmm. about the finances and balancing that with the wedding. So, yeah, I can't express enough how grateful we are. And do you think this is a conversation I've had with other same-sex couples before, but do you feel like when you came out or told your family um, that you were LGBTQ+, did you feel that they thought about fertility straight away and were curious about how how and if you could ever have a family? Uh, I think for me, probably not. So I came out or sort of at various stages when I, when I was 18. Um, so I think... No, it wasn't really something that came up. I, I think it's over the years, it's been sort of a discussion, you know, my older brother, for example, and whether or not he'd like children. Um, I think my parents have known that I'd, I've been quite keen to have children, but they've never really dug in too much until I was ready to talk about what we were considering. Um, I also for a long time felt quite young to be considering fertility treatment. Um but Grace soon convinced me that I wasn't. No, I, I hadn't had any early conversations when I came out. I think it was a lot more around the experiences I was having of hypophobia and how my family could support me with that. Grace, how about for you? When I came out uh, to my parents, I was 21 or 20, something like that, a very long time ago. And um, I don't think you know, how how to have a family was on their on their radar at all at that time and um, you know they were they were more concerned about me 
um, being confident in who I am and feeling supported and loved, which I very much did with them, which is great. And um, but I do remember there was one comment my my dad had made. Um, he was like, because I've got a wee sister, and uh, he said, "Oh, Grace, um, you know, uh, your sister is not like you. She wants to have lots of children." And I was like, "Oh, hang on, I I want to have children too." And he was like, "Oh." So I think he just kind of assumed that because I couldn't have a child biologically on my own, um, that I wasn't going to have any. So he, perhaps that's why he's just so excited now at the potential of having a grandchild because he didn't realise it, you know, it was an option or potentially on the cards before. Absolutely. And and to that point, why why do you feel that it's important to have resources and marketing materials that are in inclusive of course um and very much support lgbtq plus people um how can this be a kind of an inclusivity that every company or clinic should really prioritize sure so i think and anybody sort of going through the fertility process will attest to the fact there's a a wealth of information out there and it's incredibly confusing Um, And particularly, I think something we found was around costs and trying to work out how something like reciprocal IVF would be costed because certain clinics um, who do offer sort of the the procedures don't necessarily spell it out clearly how much it will cost. So that was something we, you know, we had a spreadsheet going of certain aspects that would be covered. um, And there were, so CRGH, for example, had a whole I think hub page on LGBTQ um, conception and process, but also specific pamphlets for lesbian couples um, and detailed, you know, really interestingly, the process of each type of opportunity. So they have this fantastic diagram of what reciprocal IVF is, which makes it so simple for me to send that to my brothers and say, this is what it is. But seeing that sort of thing does endear you to a clinic, I think. Definitely. Um, and I have no doubt that, you know, majority of fertility clinics are incredibly inclusive, but by actively spelling it out, um, by actively, you know, CRGH, for example, has um, a connection with LGBT Mummies Tribe, which is where we found out actually about this initiative. Um, and I think just seeing that commitment to it makes us less nervous about silly questions even. You, you want to feel comfortable and yeah. you'll never feel fully comfortable in a medical process, but to have that slight weight off your mind um, about questions around your relationship is, yeah, it, it's something that really made a difference for me. And when we were shortlisting um, clinics to, to at the end, and, you know, it was coming down to things like cost, but also how comfortable we'd, we'd felt when attending the virtual open days and having conversations with the clinics. The LGBT Mummies Tribe do a fantastic job, don't they, of inclusivity and education and support and insight? Yeah, we've, um, I mean, we're starting to get, you know, really into it now, keeping a lot of track of their Instagram, but we've just been overwhelmed by how much information is out there. And actually, there was a blog post uh, with founder Laura Rose that was on Fertility Help Hub that said things that actually I hadn't realised that I felt but that she expressed and I was suddenly like, yeah, no, that, that, that yeah. does. I, that makes sense of what I feel inside that I can't express. Um, so I think having, uh, and, you know, I, I know you did a podcast with her as well, having those sort of resources out there, it kind of 
and it sounds cliche it makes you feel less alone yeah um, I just wish it was more mainstream yeah um but I'm hoping we'll get there you know in, in our lifetime I've seen so much change that when I came out I didn't think we'd ever be able to get married because it wasn't legal so I think place you know resources like LGBT mummies and you know, Fertility Help Hub and how much you work with partner organisations. Um, are openly inclusive. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's definitely making very fast progress. So, and doing this podcast, for example, and being able to talk about our experiences as an LGBT couple, I think has been really, I think, nice for us to yeah. have been given that opportunity. And hopefully people will learn something maybe from our experiences. I think that's the thing about the initiative. It's it it is. I know from from my readership, devastating for many people who haven't been successful this time. But the response, the amount of applications, everything that everyone's been through, no just no story is more deserving than another. And that's why it was random selection. And they, from having done this, which has taken a huge amount of time and work my end um i want to do more of this in the future to help as many people as possible so whilst people who haven't been successful this time may be disappointed uh to not have been successful please note that there are more things coming and the support is invaluable so it's really worth finding that support network isn't it and that's why i have the fertility squad app and all the content that comes out for everyone inclusively across the platform to make sure that people don't feel alone as I did when my husband and I were having treatment with donor sperm. And we wish everyone listening all the luck and love in the world in your journey to create a family. Thank you. I have one more question. Could you tell us a bit, I mean, you talked about the brochures, but tell us a bit more about reciprocal IVF. So how is that going to work? Um, So just to be clearer from a sort of more scientific um, aspect, it essentially means that one partner um, donates the egg through the usual IVF process of hormone treatment and then egg collection. Um, those eggs, um, however many are gathered, are then fertilized with um, sperm, which we've already selected our donor from a clinic in America. Um, and we then hope that some of those um, eggs, fertilized eggs, reach um, the right embryo stage. And then when sort of the timing is right from the other partner's cycle, those are then transferred and then it's uh it's all systems go I guess then it's nine months and hopefully who, have you worked out who is going to do which part of it so subject to the medical tests from CRGH as to our suitability the plan is that we'll use Catherine's eggs and my oven so <laughs> I'll be the one with the stretch marks and the morning sickness but she's the one that has to go through all the rage with the hormones during the <laughs> during the egg retrieval process just to say deciding on which one of us is sort of going through which part of the process has uh, impacted our selection of sperm donor um, because for that and I know a lot of other couples with sperm donors want to somewhat match some attributes with the non-biological um, parent and so that's something that we've looked to do um, through the selection of our donor so yeah as Grace said um, tests permitting we will be going ahead with it in that format. How exciting. And has the clinic uh, or, well, CRGH, we know are very inclusive of different types of family building, but um, is it a fertility specialist who also might suggest which way around you do it? Or is it very much left up to the couple to decide? So our conversations with our consultant were sort of 
indicative that they were sort of thinking the same uh, line as us. So if I was the egg donor, um, I am sort of six years younger than Grace, so it may well be that quality-wise that's the right thing, but um, we are sort of waiting for our ovarian reserve tests and other blood tests um, before we make a final decision. But um, from, you know, our, our consultant, she's incredibly flexible and we will go with her advice, but also she she knows our, our choices, our choices well. because uh, in complete honesty, at, at this stage, I don't particularly want to carry a baby, whereas Grace uh, feels I my body's like I want a baby yeah uh, so. so I want I want a child I just I think cooking it in my oven for nine months isn't something I'm quite as excited <laughs> by as uh, as Grace so uh, ideally that's the situation we'll end up in but if it's vice versa that's absolutely fine uh, having a child in a family is is what matters really well, it's all very, very exciting. And I wish you the best of luck with the upcoming tests. And really look forward to speaking again a little further down the line to see how things are progressing. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks Thank for you having so us. Much.